Welcome to season three of Game Design Unboxed on the No Direction Network. Daniel Reynolds talks to tabletop game designers about the games they've made. Together, they unbox how the game went from inspiration to publication. Thank you for joining me, Danielle, for Game Design Unboxed, Inspiration to Publication, episode 48, Million Dollar Doodle. Today, we are joined by Molly Zeff, a co-founder and designer at Flying Leap Games. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. This is totally awesome. Of course. And so to begin, we always do the question of like, how did you get into the game design community? Well, I took a while to get into anything that I would say resembles a community. I just started making a game and after many years, eventually found a sense of community. So I suppose I could share how I started making my first game or would it be makes more sense to when I started meeting other designers and publishers? I mean, it sounds like if the game came first, give a brief <laughs> uh, how that happened. And then you can talk about when other designers and you kind of felt like you were part of a community came in. Sounds good. I <clears throat> first dreamed up my company's very first game, and now we have a sixth one coming out with five expansions, so we're, we're pretty far along now, but first came up with the very first game, Wing It, in the year 2010. <clears throat> the birth of Wing It actually stemmed initially from wanting to invent something and write a book and sell a million copies because I had decided in 2010, just starting a new job, that I would eventually need to go back to business school in three to five years. And I was working in a fair trade cooperative and worker-owned co-ops and mission-based work pay very, very little. So I thought, well, let me decide. I'm, you know, this is my, my 26th birthday back in 2010. I thought I'm going to dream up something that will, again, sell a million copies. I'm going to write a book on how to fail well. So I started writing a book on my 26th birthday about failing well because I'm good at failing and moving on and making something out of it and doing a very nonconformist path in many ways. And I started writing, I think I got about one page in and realized, oh, I just haven't failed enough in life yet. I should wait till I fail more when I'm in my 50s. So I paused the book so idea. Funny. Yeah, exactly. I failed at even writing the book. I paused that idea. But then later that summer, I was thinking about the book, Would You Rather, which is a gift I received when I was at the end of my high school career from my best friend. And for those who don't know, Would You Rather is both a book and a game with funny questions like, would you rather have a ketchup dispensing navel or a nose sharpening nostril? There's also a whole chapter on death and sex, and it's quite funny. And I thought, gosh, adults are paid to just <clears throat> sit around and make up weird things all day and get paid for it. I'm pretty weird. I could make up weird things all day. And based on the principle of would you rather, which is sort of putting you in these funny situations, I came up with the idea of putting players in a game in ridiculous situations and then providing them with three resources to tell a story about how they would get out of that situation. And again, this is summer 2010. I called my friend John from high school. So at this point, actually, I mean, now, now in 2022, we've actually been friends for about <clears throat> 27 years, which is crazy to think about. And I said, John, I want to make this board game. Would you want to make it with me? I told him the idea. He immediately said yes. And he immediately improved upon the idea. So his innovation was that in Wing It, everybody receives three random different resources each time versus each situation having the same three. And we began inventing the game. And for the better part of four years, about three and a half out of four years, we would just meet and come up with the content. At this time, to your question originally, we never met 
almost never, I should say, met any other designers or publishers. Sure. John was just lucky. He knew Paul Bender, who founded Greater Than Games, now sold off to become Flat River Group. And Paul was helpful once I was in business school and turning it into a game. But during that time, again, seven years, I never met a designer or a publisher, you know, the occasional self-publisher John would run into at like, um, an in, you know, the Boston Indie Game Festival or something. You know, they'd also be marketing their Kickstarter or whatnot. It really wasn't until my first trade show in at Gamma in 20, gosh, that was 2018, when I met anybody besides Paul Bender. And like Paul at that point, you know, in 2017 was already extremely successful for people who don't know greater than games has made huge successes over the years, like Sentinels of the Multiverse, Spirit Island, and Medium, a more recent one. And, you know, here we were on our very first game, doing everything really scrappily, bootstrapping, doing the Kickstarter as well. And we really didn't know that there was a community out there. And it was at Gamma when I just got to know a, a few other designers or retailers um, but again, flash forward, it really wasn't until I began going to consumer facing cons and going to regular game nights in Brooklyn that I was able to meet any number of designers down the line and, and you know, and realize it's uh, the, de- the designer publisher community is very supportive. And so I'll often get coaching on publishers and often coach other publishers. And that has been a huge boon to my career and also a way for me to pay it forward a lot as well, because I'm often asked questions about how to you know, get into retail, for example, or how to do manufacturing, things like that. And so it's definitely a very supportive community of publishers. And I would say publishers who also are self, self-publishing, self like they're publishing their own designs. That's so awesome. So then let's switch gears and go to the Spotlight episode's name, which is Million Dollar Doodle. Would you mind explaining what that game was, how it was inspired, and just how to play it? Sure. The Million Dollar Doodle has a really fun origin story. So I'm actually going to start after it originated because I didn't know that it had already been born and was being played. What happened is my co-founder, John Cannon, and I were on the way back from visiting our warehouse in New Hampshire and a few stores in New Hampshire, driving back about an hour to Boston. And this was at the beginning of 2019. And I was deciding between a couple different games and proposing them to John, asking his opinion. And he's sitting there driving. He suddenly says, oh, Ma, I forgot to tell you, Sarah and I came up with this game and we've been playing it. Sarah's his wife. And I was... I was like, okay, so so share the game. So he shares the game, and I was shocked. Like, John, how come you didn't tell me we make games? So the the origin story of the Million Dollar Doodle that he explained to me was a few months before that trip to New Hampshire, John and Sarah had been out with another couple at a diner, like out for pizza or whatever. And as the conversation wore down and they didn't have as much to talk about, she said, all right, everybody get out a napkin. And Sarah is an English teacher, very creative person like John is, also a talented musician like he is. Yeah. And she pulls out a napkin and has everybody do the same. And she says, draw a logo. Okay. Now pass the logos around. Everybody write a company name. Now everybody pass around and write a slogan for the company. So out of this, having a slogan, company name, and a logo, scribble on napkins at a diner – 
a game was born that John and his friends had begun to enjoy, but you know, he had failed to tell me even though we were running a game company together. So that was pretty funny. I mean, within a week we printed cards and started testing it. And immediately <clears throat> the innovation that arose was that the logos, slogan, and company name weren't quite enough. People proposed a review, like actually doing a sort of online review, making fun of some of the worst Yelp reviews because they're often very skating reviews. Yeah. So a fourth person will now add a review. And then you pass one more time and everyone pitches these ridiculous, funny, weird companies, like really ridiculous ideas. And the innovation John added later as we kept testing was that instead of having a logo card where you just draw, say, a piece of poop or an avocado or the outline of a person at a crime scene, what if every time you drew a logo, you were actually combining two images? So that at first seemed a little bit of a turnoff to me, but once we tried it, it made so much sense because the possibilities are virtually infinite. For all practical purposes, if you have 250 cards that can be combined, all of them, one with another, then that's a huge number. If, if any of you out there do factorial, you can calculate that and let us know what you get. I'm not going to do it live on the call. but um, So you'll have, for example, two worms intertwined on one card and a flaming heart on another. And as you combine those and you add little pieces to the puzzle of this new product, it becomes a dating service for worms, which you couldn't get from necessarily just flaming hearts, right? Sure. And then, you know, one of my favorite ones that has come up over the years in, in many, not just playtests, but just in playing it, you know, with many, many a person is um, one group at my friend's wedding last fall had, let's see, the two images were, um, were a peanut and the outline of a person at a crime scene. And this became a service that allows you to kill ex-lovers with a peanut allergy but it was misused and the reviews said it didn't work and all that. So people end up cracking up at like these absurd kind of dark, as you can see some of these things they create. And it all came from just, you know, two couples being bored at a diner. It's always interesting to see where like inspiration strikes. Yeah. And also how the original idea, which was still good, became better with the review and then better with the pitch and then even better with the last part, which was the ability to um, to combine different images into a logo. So how does the scoring work for this game then? Everyone votes on the winning pitch. Okay, so then, well, everyone's contributing to this logo slogan. They're like all kind of adding their bit. So you can really only score by being the person who's pitching it? Yes, that is literally true because you get to you know, you, you get voted on and, you know, you get that point for that round. But the the element of this party game that I think makes it really unique for the genre is it does have a collaborative and a competitive element. So while there is scoring, one thing people have noted over the years is that you still feel like, even if you didn't win, you still feel like, oh, like I wrote that hilarious review that someone laughed at. Or like, I, I created that original logo that led to the spark that led you to write that funny slogan. And so for people of four or of you know up to seven who are playing each get to feel like they contributed to the winning pitch and because you build on each other's creativity that is that is in fact true so even if you didn't get a point you played a role in creating that 
as, you know, something being worthy of being the winning pitch. Okay, yeah, I wasn't sure because, all right, so then it's basically the storytelling element is where you're going to be getting like your point. But it does sound like it's more just for the fun, like many party games. Yeah, I mean, I think people still feel really good when they win. But the winning is almost irrelevant once you're all cracking up at some random weird pitch. For sure. Is it a certain point? That you need to get to, like three points, or what? How do you know who wins? Nope. Honestly, we we didn't have. I'll double check, but I believe we didn't have this one a finite endpoint because one round can take as little as fifteen or twenty minutes, or as long as thirty to forty minutes, even. And so this one was tricky to create an end condition because you might just be playing it as a filler and only have time for one round. And if you play two, people just don't really care that much. Who, you know, who has the most. And so we, we, we suggest playing three rounds until everyone has the chance to pitch three companies, but there's no winning condition for like you won the most cards. I mean, obviously if you mm-hmm. win that round and you only play one round, you've won the game, right? But it's not like a set in stone how many rounds to play. Okay, gotcha. And then how did you play test this game? I had friends get together in different apartments and play it using variations that I described basically earlier. So variations with only the logo and a logo you come up with from scratch and a company name and a slogan. Then we had variations when you where you drew specific images that we gave to you on a card variations where people did with and without the pitch and then variations where people played that you combine two images into a logo versus just drawing a straight logo. We didn't want to leave it totally open-ended where people would just draw an image. People might end up playing, for example, where they'll just draw something in the apartment. And so for people who are like less creative or just kind of tired, they might end up just drawing a pot or a couch And it's not that we don't want those things in there at all, but like if you're under time pressure and you've got to draw your logo and pass it around, you might not have time to come up with a shooting star. Or again, like I mentioned earlier, the two worms intertwined. And so I think it was to add to the creativity that we added cards that had a defined image on them, but then the pitch made it more fun and a little more competitive to present it. That's something that I think is really Mm -hmm. missing from Telestrations is having some sort of presentation that's more formal at the end. Okay, so then the two cards that you're getting, are you still like doodling or is it you're overlaying the two cards on top of each other and they're like transparent? No, I'm looking at them right now. What they are is just a playing card, like standard poker size, and they have writing on them. So one says a pair of pants and the other says something on fire. Okay, so it's kind of like inspiration. Exactly. And then you can draw any kind of pants and any kind of flame. And then after that you is only writing anyway. But yeah, there's no drawing on the cards themselves. Okay. Yeah. I guess in my mind, that's what I was imagining. So I'm glad you clarified. Yeah. Yeah. They're called logo component cards. And so they're literally things that are part of the logo. That's cool. As someone who used to be a graphic designer, I definitely remember when a client would tell me like, hey, this sounds cool. This sounds cool. This sounds cool. I'm like, okay. And then I make it and hope it look good. (laughs) Totally. That's so cool. So how did you realize that this was the game that you wanted to publish for your company? Because I'm sure you can probably only publish like one or so a year. Why did you decide to go with this game as one of the ones that you published? I tested it against one other one that was really funny but a little bit too hard for people 
And it was about pitching funny business ideas to say Oprah or someone else famous in an elevator. Like if you had just a, a very brief time to do an elevator pitch, what are some of the funniest businesses you would come up with? And we gave inspiration cards, but it just turned out to be too hard. This one just created so much laughter and was fairly easy to pick up. And at that point I was still publishing just one a year and I'm up to two, but it just felt like it was um, very simple, funny, and on brand for our company and also very unique. Um, like I mentioned earlier, you know, the competitive plus collaborative element, having a quote drawing game, but that's like really not about the drawing where it doesn't have to be really a good drawing and it's actually funny. Or if it's a bad drawing, because when things are poorly drawn, then they get misinterpreted and then people find that hilarious, you know? So I think that um, having a combined drawing and pitching game and having the having the two elements of collaborative and competitive all made it just unique for the genre. No, I definitely feel like that is one of the biggest problems when it comes to like a drawing game is people get to in their head and if they don't feel like they're a good drawer, they don't want to play the game. But it definitely seems like what you have has removed that problem, which is awesome. Does your mm-hmm. game come with like sheets of paper and pencils or is it dry <laughs> erase? Like what is the components? Sure. We considered paper, but we I literally calculated the amount of pages you need just to play, say, once a month. And it was just too many. Plus, you know, even with the recycling, not everybody will do that. And it's it's a finite resource. So we use dry erase port, uh, pads. We use dry erase pads just like Telestrations. And then it comes with seven of those and seven markers and 250 of the playing cards. So very basic components. As far as the number, I mean, originally we were going for eight. And then what I realized was most people won't have eight people to play with most of the time. And if you do, it's really easy. All you do is just grab a piece of paper, you know, a pad of paper from the house. So that's pretty much what it has in it. And how long exactly did it take from, I guess, the inspiration drawing on the napkins to it being published and out to the players? Oh, yes. Our timelines have gotten short, which is good. Um, shorter since then. But uh, that's, this was definitely, well, it's hard to say exactly when John and Sarah, my co-founder and his wife had gone to the diner, but like it was like, you know, within a few months before that, from actually learning that they had created this game, which was January 2019, through to testing it, I guess we took about a year with all the graphic design. So January to January to finalize and order everything. And then it came out in October, 2020. So it was a longer, much longer timeline than I do now, but it was around, I would say a year and 10 months, maybe a little shorter. I mean, I'd say on average, like you're looking at two years in general. So that still sounds like a decent timeline to me. Oh, okay, good. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. I think that's a great timeline, personally. Yeah. And actually, I think I don't remember why, but there was some kind of delay between it initially being wrapped up in January 2020 and actually putting the order in late that summer. And I don't remember what had caused the delays but I do know that we also came out with a third print run of Wing It that year. And so financially that might have been a factor, but I just, I'm not sure what was the delay between January and October. That that usually can be much tighter, like as tight as four months. 
Gotcha. And now that it's published, how do you think the game's doing? Also, sidebar, I actually saw this game when I was in Toronto, Canada. So that was interesting. I saw it in a shop. So, Well, you should know then that in January 2020, I did a tour of 20 to 25 stores in the northeastern U.S., but mostly in Montreal and Toronto, actually. And so I had, in January 2020, I had a prototype so I showed that off at stores, and then they were able to order it by that fall. So that helped a lot. Uh, let's see. Remind me of your question again. Oh, how do you do? So yeah, just how's it doing so far? It's been a lot slower than Wing It, which I think is partly due to the fact that it was launched very softly during the pandemic. So it was launched in the height of, of COVID, by which I mean pre-vaccine and in the winter, which is like the worst time. And so I wasn't going to conventions at all. And I was trying actually to not market it a lot because just the reality was that at that time in four, I believe it was four of the eight countries we've sold to, it was illegal to gather in groups of people who you didn't live with. So it was essentially illegal to play our kind of games. And so, you know, Party game sales for us weren't doing great for a while with it. So it, it was just that it launched really quietly. Um, it has been a really good seller at certain stores. There's a chain out in California where the staff loves it. It's one of the owner's favorite games. Um, that's the Game Chess, which has five or so stores out in Southern California. Cool. And then when we one thing we've heard from some stores as to why they think it doesn't do as well as Wing It is just because, first of all, people love penguins. And like you'll see from the cover of Wing It that like a penguin just helps sell games, it turns out. And also with the Million Dollar Doodle, we totally revamped the cover at the 11th hour per a retailer's request saying how it could be better. By putting a scene, like it's essentially like a scene of someone, I mean, you can't see the hand, but it's like a napkin and it's showing a cup of coffee and someone drawing a hedgehog jumping out of a toaster because, you know, makes sense. Like the, you get hedgehog and you get toaster and that becomes a company, which could be hedge warmer. So like, you know, maybe something that keeps your hedges warm or something that warms up your hedgehog or it tells hedge funds what the hot stocks will be, you know, and for us having played the game, combining just two goofy things made sense. And it's obvious like what it's supposed to be. I think it's unclear to people what that story is that it's telling like, oh, you're drawing a logo and making a company isn't clear from the cover. And yeah. so if you haven't just gotten buzz about it or heard, hey, this is a hilarious game, then it seems like it's going to need to be perhaps hand-sold a little more than Wing It. So in terms of how it's doing, I think that some of its limiting factors have a lot to do with the timing of the launch and then with the cover itself. And I'll add lastly that one thing I've heard recently that really rings true actually is um, there's not as much contrast on the cover between colors as there is for Wing It. And so it's like one big bold, dark blue with an image in the middle versus a set of, say, turquoise and oranges and yellows, like our game Just Tell Me What to Do, or, you know, a blue sky and a white black penguin soaring over a gray city in the daylight, yeah. you know, so it, it just doesn't have as much contrast. And then also it's a little less clear what it's saying. So we've heard that. And I do think it could end up going to mass in the coming year, mass market, I mean, but it will probably have to sadly revamp the cover, even though we work so hard on it. I feel like that's, these are really great notes just because it's not something that everyone thinks about and like selling online or at a convention is so different from just competing against other things on a shelf. Oh yeah. And the truth is like, 
I thought like, oh, we're getting tips from retailers on how to make this better and we made it better. And a lot of retailers had said bigger sells, make it bigger, just make games bigger in general. So we made this game bigger and then people said, oh, it's an awkward size. And so sometimes you do things that one person says is a great step to take, but then, you know, five other people could tell you why it's not, right? And you just don't know that, unfortunately, until it's too late sometimes. And so, you know, I always say like, talk to retailers, talk to retailers, talk to retailers when you're creating the graphic design for a game. But one thing I learned from the Million Dollar Doodle is, you know, one person or a few people's instincts could be really off other people's experiences in the store itself. No, that's awesome. Advice. I mean, clearly it sounds similar to when you're playtesting a game and a playtester gives you some feedback. You kind of pick and choose what you're going to take. And it sounds like the same for retailers. Oh, yeah. And as far as the whole journey of this design, do you have a favorite, a favorite <laughs> and a least favorite uh, moment? Hmm. I think realizing that the first design we'd refine so much with my original graphic designer for Wing It and Wing It Beyond, which is the, the standalone Wing It expansion, realizing that that first design for the Million Dollar Doodle just wouldn't work, that it was reminding people too much of work. It was a really cute image. People can look back at the Flying Leap Games Instagram like way back to find it. It was a cute image of a kush ball type creature presenting a company to a boardroom to people to other couches at like a board table a conference table and you know when you work hard on something and then realize it's not going to work you know i had made the design we'd spent you know a fair amount of time developing it so that was probably the least favorite i'd say the most favorite is i really do like this design i think it's really cute i think it's pretty i don't understand why it matters so much that you have to know what's going on or if you if that's really the crux of the matter to be honest i'm not sure but I remember like when one of the designers landed on the particular colors of gold and dark blue, and that was just the right color scheme and landed on that, you know, hedgehog jumping out of the toaster and it looks so cute and so perfect. Those moments when you see something start to come together in the graphic design are a favorite. And I, I think, I think just seeing in the, in the actual development of the game, having people really enjoy the, show off their pitches like having people come up with really funny companies and pitch them was a a highlight I feel like that's always my favorite part about any kind of creative game is just like laughing at things or feeling smart or clever or whatever so it sounds like that would be one of my potential like great moments for something like this game oh definitely yeah and then if you could offer one piece of advice to designers from like what you learned from designing this game do you have any Sure. I want to just clarify. Do you mean designing the game or the graphic design part? Uh, The game. Play. Okay. I just wanted to confirm that before I proceeded. (laughs) Yeah. Sure. So the Million Dollar Doodle for me was a unique experience because it came already, already partly designed. And so meaning, you know, the idea from John's wife had been fun and wasn't bad, right? Creating a logo from scratch and then Assigning a company name and a slogan aren't bad, but sure. they're only really good for very creative people. And so I think one tip is to play with all different iterations of a game that involves creativity so that you make sure you're not tailoring towards the creative most common denominator, the most creative common denominator of player. That is one thing I've heard, I mean, even though it's been very successful you know, game and we're on our fourth print run of wing it. That's one thing I've heard as a quote critique on board game geek is that it works with a certain group or you have to have a certain group. I think 
in some limited way, that's true of any creative game. Yes, people have to want to be creative. They have to enjoy being creative. Or it's not, it's not going to be fun, right, if people don't enjoy the process of creativity. But I think that we did a really good job of putting the tools in this game so that it's going to involve some level of just being inherently funny. Like someone doesn't have to be a funny person or write a really creative slogan for you know, a shooting star coming out of a birdcage to be a little funny or for a brain being covered in, uh, let me just grab a random food item in, in Mm -hmm. the ingredients for s'mores, you know, being really funny. And so I think putting the tools in just to make some level of inherent humor available to people who just like struggle a little with their pitching or with their, you know, ability to tell a story through a slogan is good. Uh, beyond that, like, I think it's also okay to recognize that, you know, on the other side of things, you are designing for a more limited audience when you narrow down theme a little. So unlike Just Tell Me What to Do or Wing It, this game has to somewhat be interesting to people because of the startup theme. Like, you're literally pitching products and new companies and I think that's exciting and I love startups, but people just might not be in a theme the same way. Like I can think, you know, oh, I'm sure the mechanics are really great. I'm not going to name a specific name, game because that would be mean, but there are definitely games that look beautiful to me in the store. And I'm sure the gameplay is really fun. And I'm like, yes, but I just don't find talking about electricity that exciting. And I think like similarly, like we were narrowing our audience by doing, for instance, something about essentially building a brand or, or pitching a startup you know, we realized we weren't designing a game for 10-year-olds or 12-year-olds. It's even hard for some high schoolers to come up with a slogan or a Yelp review because maybe they've never written a review online, you know. And so and it's okay to realize, yes, we're narrowing our audience and we need to just be really clear about that on the box and make sure that, you know, this is more geared towards adults and people know that. I think that's great advice. I know my friend was obsessed with the like snake oil game growing up and (laughs) a little bit like a little bit of those vibes are coming through with this game. But it's true. Mm -hmm. I mean, not everyone. Even me as an adult, I don't know if I can make a really great slogan, but I'll definitely give it a shot. (laughs) (laughs) But that's okay. At least try it. Oh, my God. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, this sounds like it has a bunch of elements that I would enjoy playing with my family. We're all very creative, though. So that always is like the hitch of like, I love these kinds of creative games where not all my friends are as excited to do it. (laughs) Well, and obviously they won't know until they've given one round to it. Like I've heard people say on reviews of this or other games like, like, well, wing it in particular, like, oh, people thought it'd be too hard or they thought like they wasn't their kind of game or they're not good at storytelling. And then they end up being the winner. They end up being the most creative. And I think I've heard multiple friends say we had so much fun playing the million dollar, million dollar doodle. That was a great game. And doesn't mean all of them are into branding, right. Or like all into like the idea of like writing a slogan. Maybe they've never written an online review, but like once you've read one online mean review, you like, you can get the idea and know how to write it, you know? Definitely. Honestly, one of my favorite pastimes is to read through Amazon reviews. There are some really funny ones out there, especially the Harborough uh, gummy bears, the sugar-free ones. <laughs> oh my goodness. Read those. It is so funny, but like so bad. Like don't eat a lot of them because 
some pretty explosive bodily functions happen <laughs> as a result. Oh, no. But the reviews are freaking hilarious. So if you ever need like a good laugh on a hard day, definitely check out those reviews. <laughs> I will do that. I love reading funny reviews, like the ones of the pink Bic pens about how they're for females, making fun of the idea of creating a feminine product that's pink. You know, this so dumb. this late in our history. So dumb. So there's actually reviews of a recipe for ice on a major food website. So if you haven't read re- uh, reviews of the recipe for ice, that's really funny too. Oh my goodness. Okay, I'll have to check that out because I don't even know why someone would write that review. But okay. Beyond that, do you have any other projects that fans should be looking out for? Sure. This fall could be early winter, but hopefully this late fall we're releasing the sixth game which is how to lose a guy on one dm and five expansions for it and what happened last summer is some of my girlfriends from a travelers group i'm in started sharing funny or terrible or very cringy comments that they were getting on dating apps like can i milk you or you're six feet tall how big are your feet can i touch them And so I started writing funny responses to just provide a good laugh for these ladies. And then that became a game of providing funny responses to ridiculous comments you get on dating apps. We've also now created a reverse gender expansion where we make fun of it going the other way. And then we've created, you know, expansions making fun of our nice guys, which is the subreddit for nice guys and making fun of mansplaining so we definitely have this idea that, and I've definitely, I've seen it in some of my tests that, you know, this is sort of a party game with a, the purpose of providing a lot of catharsis for women. And actually one thing you notice is men like definitely act like they're on their best behavior when they're hearing about the game or playing it. And so sure. there's a sense of maybe this will improve some behaviors as well over time. Yeah. So that's coming down the pipeline. Yes, one can only, and also for any fans of Wing It or if you don't know Wing It, the fourth print run has a new, really, really cool, exciting cover. And actually, I replaced a lot of cards. I just didn't find that interesting that were just like more standard objects. I replaced them with more interesting and funny and weird resources. So like you're you're using resources to get out of a ridiculous situation. Well, I took some that were simpler like say a pair of candlesticks and, you know, replace them with things like a shark fin sandwich or a staircase that goes up forever. And so it's just bringing it to the next level of weird, basically with the fourth print run. That's so cute. I love when you add a little bit of extra. Cause that's like one thing, every time there's a new print run, some people assume that nothing changes, but other people it's like, even cards against humanity, they cut out cards and they replace things and like switch stuff up just to hit like each next generation. Or if like something is, I shouldn't say for cards against humanity, but like less PC or whatever. So it's kind of cool that you're making those adjustments too as the game's growing older. Yeah. And honestly, I didn't, I think it would have even occurred to me, but a retailer suggested that I switch up the cover just to signal this is something new and interesting with the fourth print run. And I took the plunge. It was a little scary especially because it will be going to mass uh, mass market this coming February or at least by March, maybe February. And I was nervous because the buyer for that mass market chain saw the old one and is getting the new one. And I thought, Oh man, did I make a mistake switching it up? But it just looks so beautiful. And even though, you know, I had one or two retailers really pushing back in general, you know, it's gotten some really good reception from some of our 
you know, long-standing retail customer. Gotcha. Well, I hope it goes well. Thank you. I'm a little nervous because change is hard. <laughs> you know, we'll see what happens. Oh, you're talking this person who had the same haircut, I would say, until college. So I get that. <laughs> Definitely get that. Yeah, I had the straight across bangs. Oh, I'm not saying man. it was a good choice. I'm sure they were beautiful. And hey, I, I, I'm i the person who had the same lunch practically from kindergarten through 10th grade. So 11 years. There you go. I mean, I also will eat leftovers for a full week, but not that bad. (laughs) Not for 11 years. Yeah, it's quite a long time. And then for my last question, I would love to know if magically you are now the designer of a game that you did not design, what game would you choose for it to be? This is exceptionally hard because I have two games that are two of my all-time favorites well, at least of my adulthood, that are so well made. Man. Okay, so I think on balance, one has been far more successful commercially just because it is a lot simpler to learn. So I'm going with code names because it added something really unique to the party game genre. And I would consider it a party game, even though there's a fair amount of strategy. It's light it's easy to learn and it's also extremely challenging or fairly easy if you get a group that really gets each other but you can also know each other well and just not have the same associations of certain concepts or words as your friends so that game I remember years ago when I first played it I thought I wish I had designed this like I think I was jealous and that was that might have been before I knew how successful it would be I mean it was in the top two of its genre for for years I'm just going to mention, because I can't resist, that the other one is Magic Maze. Magic Maze is one of the most ingeniously designed games I've ever played. It is beautiful how it feels so cohesive and well-structured, even though the board changes every time and there are no assigned turns and it's all played in total quiet. But everything fits with the theme so well in that, you know, you're, you're trying to be these four magical creatures who steal what they need from a magic mall and escape unscathed from mall security. And so the fact that you're playing complete silence, right, makes sense, for example, because you have to escape mall security. That game is so brilliantly designed that I have to at least mention it. It just unfortunately was up for the Spiel der Jahre and didn't win. And I think it's probably just that it's way too complex to win for a Spiel der Jahre, um, which is game of the year in German. And I just, I just, can't get over how someone came up with that but I think in some way I feel like that person's design abilities are just above mine like maybe I just couldn't design something that complex although I want to give myself I, mean, some credit I, yeah, I was gonna say I, really I wouldn't say it. never like future goals no it's true and also I think because I'm a publisher and designer I do need to come out with ideas that can be made fairly quickly since I live off my income and, and have for over five years it's different if you're just kind of you know, coming up with something really complex for two or three years, but you don't need to earn money from it yet, you know? And so there are three strategy games in my head, maybe not as complex as Magic Maze, but one's, one's pretty complicated, and we'll see if I make them at some point, but it would have to be a time when it was, there was less pressure to actually manufacture and sell as well. I mean, that definitely makes sense, thinking of it from that perspective. I feel like some designers do have to think that way, and others, like, pitch, or they're working for a company, like me personally... I love working full-time for a company and then just having it be like a side gig pitching games. Sure, sure. And honestly, you know, maybe after I sell my company someday, I could see just trying to produce the ideas I didn't have time to make. But for now, I'm okay 
that's okay. I'm comfortable with making fairly easy to learn light games that I not only really enjoy, but they give people a lot of laugh. That's amazing. I love it. Uh, well, thank you for joining us for this episode of Game Design Unbox, Inspiration to Publication, episode 48, Million Dollar Doodle. And thanks again, Molly, for joining us. If anyone's trying to find you online, how do they find you? Sure. So there are a couple ways to find me online that are best. I'd say the number one is Instagram. That's where I'm most active. It's Flying Leap Games. Um, just at Flying Leap Games. And if you're not on Instagram or not very active on it, Facebook is also the second best. And that is just Flying Leap Games or Wing It even on Facebook. But Flying Leap Games is probably the best on Facebook as well. Awesome. And then I'm your host, Danielle Reynolds. If you're looking to find me on social media, you can check out my Instagram and my Twitter under the name token gamer and that's spelled g-a-y-m-e-r you can also check out uh, my design stuff at dmrcreativegroup.com but thanks again molly for joining me and talking about party games because i love talking party games (laughs) yeah it was a lot of fun thanks so much thank you for joining danielle for another episode of game design unboxed inspiration to publication if you'd like to hear more great gaming podcasts check out nodirectionpodcast.com join us next time